Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. At SLRC, they understand your dream to move. Moving up, moving on, moving your body, moving mountains. SLRC can help you find the focus to define your finish line. As a top 10 run shop in America, they use their 25 years of experience to provide custom shoe fit analysis and offer a premium assortment of footwear and workout essentials. Locally owned, locally operated. SLRC is movement inspired. Visit saltlakerunning.com to schedule your shoe fitting today. Host of Eden, Season 2, Episode 6, The Chase is On. Last time on Host of Eden, Season 2, the attempt to transfer Agent Barnhart into Johnny failed. The team ignores the president's request to kill him. Instead, they decide to go through with the funeral, with the hope that no one discovers their ruse. Now back at headquarters, the home of Marion and Mason... Colby is there, still in the body of the 10-year-old girl. Johnny, Marion, and Mason are also there in the living room. Now that they're finally over the issue of saving Colby's life, they can deal with the matter of figuring out who or what attacked the base and was transferring from one body to the next. Colby is explaining what happened. So as I came out of the building, I saw him touch a security guard on the back of the neck and all of a sudden he fell dead to the ground and the necklace just reappeared on the new security guard he looked me right in the face and smiled I'll never forget that look and then ran towards the vehicle that was passing by did he say anything Mason asked did he ask you or say anything at all no nothing Colby explains Marion asked, this necklace or this glow, what did it look like? Can you draw a picture of it? Colby indicates in the affirmative, Marion hands him a pencil and some paper. Colby draws a symbol on the piece of paper. It looks like a cross, but it has a loop at the top. Marion recognizes it instantly. She goes into the kitchen and grabs the card that had been left by Abel. She sets it on the table next to the symbol. It's the exact same symbol. Isn't that the Egyptian symbol, the Ankh or something like that? Johnny asks. That's where I've seen that before, Mason exclaims. Marion gets out her laptop and searches for the symbol online. She finds it instantly. Yes, yes, here it is, she says. The Ankh is an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic 
image with the meaning of life. The Egyptian gods are often portrayed carrying it by its loop or bearing one in each hand. Marion then reads the card that was left by Abel. It says they were here before and they will come again. What does that mean, Johnny asks? Were the Egyptians an alien race too? Why not, Marion says. At this point, nothing would surprise me. Mason chimes in, whoever or whatever he is, we have to find him. He has the power to walk into just about anywhere undetected. Then Mason looks at Colby. What was he after at the base? Colby explains he broke into a top secret database of paranormal research to find the location of something called the Bell's Sphere. The Bell's Sphere, Johnny exclaims. What's that? The Bell's Sphere, Colby goes on to explain, was found on a farm decades ago. It's best described as a spherical object made of some unknown metallic substance. It seemed to have some type of intelligence and was known to follow people around a room. Marion asks what happened to it. Colby goes on, it was confiscated by the government and never seen from again. But apparently its location was recorded in that database that our suspect was reading. This guy found out where it is. Some top secret facility that I've never heard of. Mason jumps in. We have to get to this base now. Notify the president of what we know. Tell him to inform them that under no circumstances are they to come into personal contact with the suspect. We need to be there now. The four proceed to get ready to leave while Marion gets the president on the phone. By the time they arrive at the base, it's nighttime. The four are in a military helicopter circling above the top secret facility. They can see what looks like a soldier on the ground in the parking lot. Mason signals to land the copter. The copter lands just as a military convoy approaches through the entrance of the base. The convoy stops and the President of the United States gets out surrounded by members of the Secret Service. The President watches as Mason, Marion, and Johnny step out of the helicopter. They are all in military gear prepared for whatever is going to happen. Before the President can say anything, he sees a fourth figure emerging from the copter. It's a cute little girl dressed in military gear and walking like she owns the place. She's carrying an assault rifle and clearly knows how to use it. Although she's trying to figure out how to best hold it in her much smaller arms. Oh, you've got to be kidding me, the president says. No time to explain, Mason exclaims. We've got to get in there. He signals for the president to remain outside. The four, along with a contingent of soldiers, surround the building and begin to proceed inside. The president watches live body cam footage from a secured vehicle outside. As they enter the front of the building, they encounter another soldier on the ground. No sign of life. Mason has a diagram of the building and he navigates the group to where they believe the sphere is housed. He reminds the group not to allow themselves to be touched by the suspect. 
and that ideally they need to apprehend him alive. Meanwhile, in a secured room that is surrounded in bulletproof security glass in another part of the base, our suspect, who has now taken the body of a soldier, is interrogating someone as to the location of the sphere. He's holding the gun to the head of an older gray-haired man in a lab coat. Tell me where the sphere is, he demands, and I'll let you live. The scientist signals that it's behind a secured panel in the wall. Our suspect signals for him to remove the sphere. The scientist places his hand on a panel on the wall. It lights up, makes some sounds, and then a drawer slides out behind the panel. The scientist reaches in and pulls a large metallic ball, about the size of a bowling ball. It looks as though it should be very heavy, but the scientist holds it as if it is as light as a feather. The suspect tells the scientist to carefully place the sphere on the workbench next to him. Just then, Mason and his group enter the chamber on the other side of the glass. Pointing his weapon, Mason yells, Freeze! The scientist, in an attempt to save his own life, shoves the sphere into the chest of the subject, causing it to come in contact with the onk symbol on the suspect's chest. As the two items connect, a shockwave blasts outward, knocking the scientist and the suspect to the ground in different directions. The blast knocks out the lights and shatters the glass into Mason's group as they dive for cover. The suspect manages to get to his feet. He grabs the sphere and stumbles through a door on the other side of the room. What was that? Marion asks. No idea. Is everyone okay? Johnny signals that he's okay. Colby does not make a sound. Instead, he jumps up immediately and runs out of the room in pursuit of the suspect. Meanwhile, Marion rushes to the side of the scientist to see if he's okay. No luck. The scientist is dead. The suspect manages to exit the back of the building and is still kind of stumbling from the blast. A few seconds later, Colby comes bursting through the door and commands the suspect to stop. The suspect turns around to see a 10-year-old girl in full combat gear facing him. He laughs out loud. What are you supposed to be, he demands. Colby does not say a word. Instead, he charges a suspect and kicks the sphere out of his hands, landing in an attack posture. The ball rolls down the parking lot about 15 feet and then turns around and starts heading back at them. Seeing that the suspect is distracted, Colby strikes the suspect in the knee with his foot, causing the suspect to fall to the ground in pain. Colby then kicks the suspect in the face, sending the suspect onto his back and onto the ground. Colby jumps on top of him and starts striking the suspect in the face with his fists. Colby is beyond concerned at this point about being transferred out of this little girl's body by the suspect. Instead, he is consumed with rage because this is the man who trapped him inside this little girl. And it's also the man who had taken the life of so many soldiers. Filled with rage, he continues to pound on the face of the suspect. Then Colby feels the sphere, which is now returned to his side. He grabs it and holds it directly over his head, preparing to smash it onto the head of the suspect. Realizing what is about to happen, the suspect manages to get his hands and the necklace and place it just above his face, 
before the sphere comes crashing down. Again, as the two objects collide, a shockwave sends Colby flying into the air. He screams like a little girl and lands on the ground about 20 feet away. The shockwave blasts a small crater into the ground surrounding the suspect, who is severely injured. Suddenly, a military vehicle pulls up next to the suspect, and another soldier gets out of the vehicle and rushes to the side of the suspect, believing it to be a fellow soldier. The suspect lifts his head as if he is trying to say something, causing the soldier to lean in. He brings his head down to try to hear what is being said. The suspect touches the soldier on the back of the neck and transfers into the new body, leaving the injured soldier behind dead. He looks up at Colby, who is not moving, grabs the sphere, which was blown a fair distance away, but had now rolled back to the side of the suspect. The suspect grabs the sphere, climbs into the running vehicle, and drives away. A few moments later, Mason, Johnny, and Marion emerge from the building and run to the side of Colby. Colby slowly sits up and is mostly okay. He just left, Colby says. He's in a military vehicle heading south. He has the sphere. Mason notifies the military command on base and they engage in a pursuit in that general direction. And the scientist, Colby asks? Marion sadly says he's gone and it looks like all of his research was destroyed in the blast. What are we going to do now, Colby says? We needed that scientist to help us figure out what's going on. Well, he's gone, Marion says, so we have to find another way. Actually, Johnny says, everybody looks in Johnny's direction. He's not exactly gone. What do you mean? I checked his body, Mason says. The blast killed him. Well, Johnny explains... It may have taken his host, but I'm telling you, he's right here, inside me. Next time on Hosts of Eden Season 2, our suspect uses the sphere to expand his forces, and they start to figure out what this strange fear is all about. What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com.